This is Creator Culture by Hashtag Paid. Hey, I'm Danny Desatnik, and this is a conversation with an underrated creator. Today's guest is the king of storytelling on YouTube. Some might say he's the best director on YouTube. And I know we talk underrated, but I say underrated for this individual because watching his videos makes me think more than think, makes me believe that we'll be seeing him receive many of the critically acclaimed film awards in the not too distant future. Over the past five months, he's made films on legends like Donald Glover, Nardwar, Steven Spielberg, Jerry Seinfeld, and most recently, Adam Sandler. You watch these films and you feel full, almost like you've had an amazing meal, but there's always room for more of his videos. And you just can't wait until the next one comes out. If you continue to watch his videos, or if you start watching his videos, I bet you'll agree that he's the best kept secret on YouTube. Now, before we get to this really fun conversation with this really amazing guest, I want to talk to you about an initiative we're starting at Hashtag Paid. Now, Hashtag Paid, for just quick context, we're an influencer marketing company. And what the initiative is, is we're calling it creators of the Hashtag Sweater. Reason being, we have this hashtag sweater we give out as our merch it's this black fluffy comfortable sweater with white hashtags all over and we want to get to know more of our creator network or just more of the creators in general but not from a metrics perspective but purely from a human's perspective and no one's done that better in a system than humans of new york if you all remember back in the day so what we want to do is this create something similar on our instagram page but call it creators of the hashtag sweater. And so if you want a sweater, there's only three things you have to do. Either message me on IG or hashtag paid on IG. So for me, I'm at D-A-T-K-E-E-D dat keyed, hashtag paid. We are H-A-S-H-T-A-G-P-A-I-D on Instagram. And message us, letting us know that you're a creator and you want a sweater let us know what size it is and let us know what your mailing address is what we'll do is we'll then send out a sweater to you and along with the sweater we're going to give you a prompt and that prompt is probably going to say something like talk to us about your favorite memory related to any sweater throughout your life once you have that prompt send us your answer and a photo of you wearing the sweater and we'd love to feature you on the page and just get this really cool community of incredible creators wearing this hashtag sweater but more so telling us something about themselves that maybe no one else would really know anyway it's time to get to the great conversation so let's get to the good stuff here's my conversation with danny mcmahon aka dodford what's the first story you remember hearing or watching or being immersed in that really meant something to you yeah I don't think when I was a child, I wasn't, uh, maybe children in, as a whole aren't really absorbing stories. I don't think I was absorbing stories. I was absorb, absorbing like just wow moments. Spectacle, actually. We talk about spectacle versus story all the time now as adults, but like back then as a kid, you're looking for that spectacle. And to me, it was a James Bond moment. I don't even remember what film it is, but it's a, I wrote about this when I submitted my application to university. And it was a James Bond moment where he's riding down a, on a speedboat down a river. And he crashes through a wedding, you know, and there's all these like bullets firing past him and stuff like that. I remember seeing that and thinking that's like the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Before I really knew what movies were, I might have been four or five. And I, that's always the thing when I think about like the moment, when I, when I think about like a scene or a movie that kind of just put me on a trajectory. That's one of them. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I've even seen it since. I might never again, just to kind of like keep that cherished memory. But yeah, for some reason, that James Bond film, I can't really think of any stories, but yeah, I, back then I was just, I just wanted to be like badass moments and then that kind of just, cause I, that's the capture. I'd always ask my mum, how do they do that? Cause you know, I'd always be curious as to like, how can they, cause you know, as a kid, some things just aren't, how can you achieve that? And my mum would just always say, it's TV magic, it's movie magic. And that was like, sort of like telling me the answer, but not telling me anything. That was like the curiosity that would got me intrigued and got me on this road, I think. And then I had to start, start working it all out after that. And so when did that movie magic become real for you? Like that, that pursuit of movie magic become real? I mean, even when I was like 10 years old, I was making movies at school, lightsaber videos, Star Wars stuff, stop motion stuff. So 
yeah, primary school. I was a child and it was, it, I acted upon it quickly. I'd have friends that I made movies with after school. And then when I was in secondary school, that was like, uh, I drifted away from making real life movies and I did a bunch of, that's when I got really into editing and I started doing like Call of Duty montages, that type of stuff, editing for my friends. And I was diving really into just the the craft of it, like the technical side of learning Sony Vegas, learning After Effects, learning all these like software. And that's kind of when I first got integrated into the idea of the editing community as well. Cause this is like 2012, 2013, YouTube, Call of Duty montages, Face Clan, when it was like first getting big. And like that community was like addicting to me. And I was, I was in, in it every single day, you know, churning out edits, probably doing like two or three a day for zero pounds, you know, not making a cent, but like I was just dedicated and committed to it from, from day one. And then I did that for like four or five years and then eventually kind of got bored of it, fell out of love with editing. But I really, what I did was I thought, fell out of love with Call of Duty. And I thought, but because those things were so intertwined in my head that I thought they came as a package. But then I realized that, no, I still love movie magic, still love TV magic, you know, and I got obsessed with cinema and filmmaking as a whole. And then the, ed the love for editing returned. It was an interesting thing, sort of like l learning to fall in love with editing before I did movies. And so I went in like, it was like 16, 17, I uh, went to college started taking it seriously like academically and learned all about the history of film and cinema and then went to university and then after that this whole journey began as well so it's it's all, it's all been kind of smooth but kind of dysfunctional too there's a couple of things that stand out to me there i think one is you had the curiosity and you had the thing you wanted to act on and you found the community of people that were doing so as well Mm -hmm. which I think is so important because if you didn't have that yeah. early, early on, it might have get it might have put you in this place of, oh, it's not possible. Like, I can't yeah. do this, but it allowed you to jump. And I'd say the second thing, because you did that video of Logic and Logic and Phase were so intertwined from the jump, is that how you came to Logic by being so intertwined in the Call of Duty Phase world? Yes. Yeah, I learned of Logic through Phase cams from you know, 10 years ago, 11 years ago. That's so wild. Yeah. It's cool how, how there's that full circle moment. Yeah, that, that community was, I mean, now he follows me, so that's wild. Like, yeah, it, that is crazy, genuinely. I think about that sometimes. That's the most famous person who follows me by a long shot. But yeah, like that community that I remember being involved in, in the Skype calls, the Skype group chats back in the day, it was amazing. And it's, I think, also because the, like it was so rampant on YouTube, the people who were making montages and editing videos, there was so much of it that there was constant inspiration as well. I kept, like there were people who are editing back then who I looked up to, like they were legends, like they were icons of the, of the industry, but they were probably, they might've been 14 or 15 years old, you know, they'd just been doing it for a couple of years longer than I have. And had done a few Call of Duty montages, but I saw them as these legends, you know, because like the, the scene was so new that, you know, you could cement yourself as an icon, as a, as a montage editor so quick back then. And that's why how those people joined FaZe, joined the big clans and created these like really iconic videos. And they were young, they're young. And now they've gone into like the movie industry, CGI, and, you know, work for Marvel and that stuff. So it's so, it kind of feels like a privilege to even just be, ever so slightly involved in that kind of era where all these like really talented creators were kind of formed out of lava. It's really cool. Are you still in contact with those guys today? No, not at all. Like only the, only the friends that I had in school that I was doing it with. That's it. See, what's interesting there is a friend of mine used to be part of like the one, the one direction fan clubs and she'd have her oh, yeah. role and she would do all this stuff, like all this stuff when she was growing up. And now the people that she worked with, like for free, obviously, but the people that were in these fan groups that were underground, no one really knew about unless you were a huge, let's call it one direction fan. Mm. She was telling me that now all those people have kind of graduated on to be like heads of A&R at Atlantic records or like had digital here. And there's kind of this like society where they all want to support each other because they all know where they came from. Mm 
And so I wonder if there was, I wonder if there's something like that for you. Like it's a credibility piece. If you're like, yeah, I was part of whatever clan or I was editing videos for whatever person yeah. and someone else connects to that. They're like, oh, we got to lift you up because you were part of that initial like mud community before anyone really cared. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think it's a beautiful thing when, like I remember even thinking then I was young, you know, I was like 14, 15 at the time. And just remember thinking that there was this like, I had a subconscious knowledge that this community would be like influential down the road. And like some of those people, they, they were so young and they made videos that are like just generally astounding. They had people who were just editing those Call of Duty videos, but they had already this sort of inherent knowledge of um, cinematography and blocking and staging, composition, you know, uh, obviously had editing just like there's like this natural instinct. And that's how, like, I think I fell in love with the cinema of video games first before I did actual movies. And then that translated, but it was such an, such a good playground of learning those abilities from other people and like constantly inspiring each other. It was just, it was a glorious time. You sound so old where it was like, oh, the good old days. Yeah, there was the good old days. It's so cool to hear. And the thing that I've picked up with you, and, and I think it goes along with being such a good researcher, is noticing patterns. Because when you can notice patterns, you can pick out certain things quicker. That can come into the story that you know are core tenants. And you're talking about how back in the day, you could subconsciously pick up that these people had it or they had something. Before you knew like the true fundamentals of storytelling, you were able to pick up on these patterns. Do you yourself, like, will, will you say that you're really good at identifying trends or identifying patterns? That's not something I've ever consciously noticed about myself because when I think of the word trends, you know, I'm thinking of viral trends and I've never, never ever been like uh, on top of that, never felt like I was ahead of the curve in any regard uh, or like able to pick something up and convert it and translate that into my own thing very quickly. So when it comes to like viral trends, that's never been my thing. But yeah, like when it comes to research, I'm deep, deep, deep diving on a subject that's, that's interests me. I definitely then can look through and, and find these sort of reoccurring themes that pop up quite easily. You know, how people can have similar emotions to good part, good moments in their life and bad moments in their life and how they change you in similar ways even though they're both completely opposing and it's so i pick up on that a lot when it comes to researching for a video but no i don't i'm not like a i'm not i'm not really like an ocd person i don't pick up on small little minuscule things much really to be honest it's it's cool to hear you say that because i, I think that is one of from what i can tell at least like that that is one of the strengths if you're saying subconsciously back then you were picking up on something and now you're able to pick up on a lot of things. Like, I think there is a, a couple through lines and there are a couple consistent themes that keep popping up with the people that you feature, the people that you create these video essays about. But talk to me about research, because I think this, ha like, you need good research to at least have the stories and understand the stories and piece them together to tell these amazing video essays, which you've been so successful at. How do you know good info versus bad info when you've collected everything? Yeah, research is a it's it's a a mammoth of a task, and I think every single time it gets to the early stages where I have to kind of re you know assemble everything, find everything, it feels like this task that's a monumental task that I'll never complete. And so, I think usually the biggest like task first is realizing there is no such thing as bad info yet. I think you have to just kind of take everything in, absorb everything, but like take everything with a grain of salt. The hardest part is learning everything so you know what to pick. But I think when it comes to filtering everything down, it's it's more like I'm also focused on how it relates to the story I'm trying to tell. Like everything has to be factually correct as, as far as I can tell, obviously, but I will leave out, I mean, in past, in past videos, I feel like I have left out quite crucial things that would pop up in a Wikipedia page, you know, or if I was going to do a, a 12 out, 12 episode series on it, it would be included, but 
you have to sacrifice big, technically good pieces of information like that because it would disrupt the flow of the story or not, or maybe contradict an emotion that you're trying to tell. So sometimes I, I am favoring the the experience of the viewer over you know being totally factually uh, objective and you uh, as a filmmaker there's no such thing as being objective you have to just accept from the beginning that you're going to take a stance that's you, ha you have to be subjective you know even just wherever you put a camera even if you just plopped it into a room on a tripod that's still making a statement about what you feel about that shot so like you just have to accept that you're going to go into it with a stance when you make a documentary and don't shy away from that. So the, the information that I'm picking, it's relating to the, the story that I've constructed from the information that still, I'm still trying to be as factual as possible, but it's, it's more like I'm always the emphasis is on emotion. You, you know, like watching the, the Donald Glover video, you talk about like one of the big things is sacrifice for him to become this like all encompassing artist that is doing everything. And so it's cool to see that through line going back to what you talk about with research. But how do you, how do you then decipher it? Like, let's say you find a, a part of someone's story that you're like, oh, this doesn't really fit, but you're like, oh, this is, this is such a cool piece of information. Or like, I want to figure out a way to pull this in. How do you take a step back to tell yourself like, yeah, this doesn't fit where we're going, even though it's such a great piece of information or a great story, like I can include it. How do you balance emotion versus, let's call it the structure that you set out for yourself? Yes, yeah, good question. It's a good question. Like just today, I, I've started editing the next episode for Adam Sandler documentary and everything's scripted for like I've, I've, I'd gone through with Adam and my intern, Jaden. And like we've thought, is there anything else we can add here? Like last checks. And I've started it now. And now I've been going through YouTube again and I'm finding so many more clips and videos. And like, there was an Adam Sandler SNL sketch where all of the crew dressed up as his past characters and it just works as like this beautiful kind of like sum up of his entire career and it's like it also links into the themes that I'd speak about in the video about friendship and family and so it, it's perfect but it doesn't fit and then there's not really a, a key slot for it and so I would have to do a whole bunch of shuffling rewrite some things but it, it, I can still tell my story just as well otherwise. And yeah, sometimes there's going to be things that like, I don't know, would work, could work, but like you can't just, there's if, buts and maybes, you know? So it's, it, it hurts, of course, when there's like something that you feel like you missed, but I don't know. If it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. I think I'm just going to rely that I can tell my story just as well any other way. So that's what be the, that's, that'll be the priority. Hmm. Is that what makes a great filmmaker, regardless if it's a video essay or a POV or like a feature film, is sacrifice? Like, it, does a filmmaker need to come in to to that piece of work knowing I need to sacrifice stuff, and I, to be great, I'm going to have to sacrifice stuff? Yeah, I think uh, I would choose the word negotiation over sacrifice. I think there's always, you know, a sacrifice. You're, I don't know. I don't know if that's like a, a guarantee that you're going to get something back. It's almost a promise. You know, you sacrifice a body to the gods and you hope, you hope that, you know, you'll be blessed from it. But like a negotiation means that you're agreeing with someone or something that there's going to be a, a return to that. And so I, I think that's what filmmaking is on a set. You're negotiating with everyone. People are going to disagree or people can't quite fulfill your vision, you can't fulfill their vision. So it's one big negotiation. The same thing's happening when you're doing it by yourself. You're negotiating because you can't complete the, the tasks of a 12-man crew, you know? And, or you can't, we don't quite have the, you know, the, uh, the talent or whatever, the skill to do it all by yourself. And so a negotiation is more so, but yeah, sacrifice is, is similar, but it's all about coming to these agreements with other people and yourself that yes you're gonna have to accept some things but also you get good things in return as well if you just put things out there into the world if you were to go back now when you started let's say your past four or five videos and having gone through all the research that you've done picked up patterns understood your process re redefined your process what's one thing you would have told yourself or what have, what's one thing from the research phase you would have brought in to your process from the beginning now that you've gone through 
so many great projects mm. with it. Yeah, I well, I did go through my old scripts and research documents of like those uh, Nardwar one and before that as well recently, and I think I'm slowly drifting towards this identity in my channel where there's it's getting less and less and less of me. I just, I mean, the Adam Sandler one I just shot yesterday, it's going to be about a 15 minute video and there's less than two minutes of me in it. There's less than two minutes of voiceover. So that's getting, sh it's shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And I think I like it that way. I think I only want to put myself in when my personality and my identity is uh, warranted. And so I think from, I maybe at the beginning, I look back on it now and I think I'm just slowing myself in for the sake of it, you know, or I'm cutting to myself because I'm being too lazy to find something else that, that matches that, you know, emotion more. And so back then, if I, if I was to make those videos again, there would be, there would be even more research. There would be more effort in finding the right clips and the right quotes and the right sound bites to match what I'm trying to say, because sometimes it's a cop out when I, when I cut back and I'm saying it can be like expositional. Um, and sometimes you need that to sort of kind of keep steer the ship, keep it on course, but I'm drifting away from that. If the channel one day is totally, you know, secondary footage sources and recordings of B-roll and stuff, and there's no me in it, I'm willing to explore that. I think if I'm just like purely a documentary filmmaker without a, without a presenter, I, I want to see how it goes. You know, I would, have you heard of the podcast Radio Lab? No. Okay, amazing podcast, great stories around science and technology and, and how those two kind of interweave within the world. And there was one episode where they interviewed, I think it was like one of the producers interviewed the other producer and to, they asked about research. Like, what are your methods for researching and coming up with interesting stories? Because how do you keep finding really cool stories? And, they had, and the guy had some interesting tactics. One was like random story gen or random Wikipedia page generator where he'll just click, keep clicking through until he like starts reading stuff that's interesting. Another one was subscribing to trade magazines where like you wouldn't get them publicly, but they'll, they'll have some like really meaty thing in the industry that maybe only the industry cares for, but you can bring that to the world. And there was one or two others. Do you have... Is there some like interesting tactic you have about finding an interesting story or an interesting clip or an interesting piece of information that you've come to over the past couple months or couple of years doing this? Well, I think I have to uh, initially put a you know a handout for Adam Bright, who's the researcher I've got on board now, who does a fantastic job of just finding those nuggets of information and sound bites. You know, I can just we we confirm a character or a subject. And he goes off and he just trawls and he finds those pieces of information. So however he does it, I wouldn't be able to say, but like for me, it really is just putting in the hard work. There are websites out there where you can search the entire YouTube transcription, you know, database. And so you can search for keywords and search for specific things from specific channels. And so that helps, but you have to kind of have an idea of what that is you're looking for first. So initially it's just read up and write down as much as you can about the basics of a person, where they came from, where they're born, how their childhood was, how that shaped them, you know, the things that inspired them, the things they hated. Get that all on paper and that kind of builds this, this uh, universe in your head, this kind of mind map that you can bounce around in. Uh, and once it's all in there and you absorb it, it means that you can kind of, I don't know, those stories just kind of jump out at me, the, the connections and the links between those things, they just... It just happens, and so, but it doesn't happen without a bunch of you know grunt work. You have to you have to accept that it's going to take a week, two weeks, three weeks on just researching and googling and, and watching YouTube videos and copy and pasting sound you know URLs into documents and writing up and color coding and it's a bunch of like work that I didn't think I was going to do anymore after I finished school, but it's also so fun and so. <laughs> Like there aren't really any secret special magic tricks. It's just a lot of work and dedication and belief in the story you want to tell. When you're, when you're telling these stories and you're doing all this research to get to whatever, 10, 15, 20 minute video, 
is there ever a level of regret of like, I've done so much work to get all this information and distill it. And I know so much about X topic or X person. I should be leveraging it for more compared to just the video. No, not to be honest, not in that way. No, I think when I finished the Jerry Seinfeld script, that was significantly longer than anything I'd ever made. You know, it turned out to be 24 minutes. But at the time, I thought it in my head, I was like, this might be closer to 40. You know, I didn't really have an idea. And yeah, when it's, when it's just a whole bunch of words on a document and it's a big blocky piece of text, that I get the regret there. And I was like, now I've got to do the work of turning this into a real, you know, thing and so i get the regret then but now i'm very happy with putting it out onto my own platform on youtube public free for everyone i think that's i think that's amazing i want to kind of like start lots of creators and big youtubers are doing it now they're kind of changing the credibility of what a youtube creator is and um, the types of stories you can tell the types of effort you can put into it um, and i kind of want to continue that i think um i've had requests you know from some platforms and stuff to put my videos on their dedicated platforms which i don't know i, I like youtube a lot and i think that's where the audience is now and there's a there's a shift happening in the types of content that's out there and like yeah i'm, I'm committed to it you know you've said over the past couple of minutes like the idea of needing to put in the effort and just having to put in the time and the care. But when I was listening to a podcast that you were on, I don't know really when, but when I was researching for this, there was something you said, which I think was super interesting. You go, when I'm working on a project, it's not actually about putting in 10% extra effort. It's about putting in 10% extra care. Tell me the difference between effort and care. It's a good question. Yeah, it's a good question. I think for me, I can put 50% more effort into a video, but it's, it's kind of vapid. It's kind of empty. It, it's like, you know, I'm putting extra time into it. You know, I'm sp more spending longer late, late hours on the video and still underneath secretly underneath all of that. It's like, uh, yeah, it's cause I have to just like mask that I don't actually believe in the project. You know, it's like, I have to just put more in keep chipping away at it. Hopefully something will reveal. But the care comes at the beginning. I think it's not something that you are adding to afterwards. It's something that's you're putting that initial extra ten percent in the the from minus ten to zero. That's where it's that's where it is. And it's like you have to start the engine with that extra bit of fuel that you feel really committed and dedicated to the project that you're going to make. Otherwise, you're going to have to kind of. Otherwise, you get to the point at the end where you kind of don't really care and you're adding extra effort, but you're just kind of taking out more energy than you should and that, that you could put on other things. And it's, yeah. So like, it's just all about that belief at the beginning. Hmm. Does that have any impact in the way that you think about working with like ChatGPT and generative AI? Because it feels like they're the effort, like that that engine is the effort. Like you give it, you give it something, it'll spit something out for you. But is there soul? I think that's been the conversation. Is like, is there? Can you really feel like a human behind the script, or can you feel like soul behind the script? But it, and it sounds like that care, like can Chat GPT almost like replicate replicate care or replicate soul? What like what are your thoughts where it goes? I think if you are doing that and you are relying on Chat GPT for that initial spark. Well, not necessarily the spark. I use it for a spark as well sometimes. But if you've already got that spark and you're looking to kind of flesh it out a little bit, there's chances are then that you're going to, you're sacrificing that spark, the e extra care that you could have if you just put the time in yourself, use your brain, you know, and start thinking about what it means to you. You know, why do you want to tell this story? Why, what, what's the impact that you could generate? Why is it going to change you? as opposed to putting it into a chat GPT and it giving you five, six ideas that you can just pick one from, you know, you're, it's, it feels more empty, you know, and I do use it for, you know, like more laborious tasks, you know, rephrasing things, kind of being a more grammatical uh, brain. But like, if you're using it to really be creative right now, it does a great job and it might 
gets you the, fi- the same finished product, but it's not going to have the same impact on you as a creator from the whole way through. Uh, I think it's just right now, it comes down to how you're choosing to use it. It's, it's, when something's that good of a shortcut, you can overuse it and it can get kind of addicting and then you forget why you should be using it in the first place and just don't let it overtake you. That's, that's how I'm trying to approach it now. Mm. You said a little earlier in the answer, the idea of looking at things from an impact perspective, like what's the impact you want to create or what do you want people to leave with after watching your videos? And I think the thing that I've picked up when just looking at the comments in all of your videos is everyone sees you as a natural teacher. It was like, oh my God, I love this video. And I feel like I learned so much from you, Dodford. Or man, the way you talked about X, oh, I didn't realize that that was such a good way of phrasing it. Thank you. Or oh, you're about to blow up. Like I'm going to keep watching you because I'm going to become X. Is part of your impact to help people become better filmmakers? Yeah, I think that kind of is the overarching. It's all about inspiration. Like if I try to package it up in one word, I want to leave every video with a note of inspiration. Even stories which I feel like they are more of a controversial sub, like the Jerry Seinfeld one was a big challenge for me because I'm always trying to, you know, finish the video with this kind of this uh, note of inspiration that yes, you can achieve anything, anything you want. You can become the creative person that you aspire to be. Um, even though people like Jerry Seinfeld, uh, they split opinions and they've done bad things. And so that was a, that was a creative difficulty for me there. But yeah, usually the, the overall theme is I want to inspire and motivate. I think always from the beginning, the channel and the TikTok before that, it was all about education. It was always trying to teach uh, people how to edit first. That was the initial concept of Dodford. And so that's kind of thought process of educating people has never really left now it's a little less technical and maybe i'm kind of giving more you know uh moral deeper thoughts for it but yeah it's always it's always been about trying to teach people that they can do anything they want but specifically about creating and being a creative person because i've done it myself so i feel like anyone can was there someone in your life some type of educator, whether in the school system or not, that made such an impact on you? A few, yeah. When I was in sixth form college, so I was between 16 and 18, there was, I had a media teacher called Barney who convinced me to go to study at, at university. So he was a, a huge inspiration. And then at while I was at university, there was a bunch of good tutors who, who like, I don't know, took me under their wing a bit, but really... You know, as much they were so great, the educators I've had, but like every, almost everything I've learned about the, the job I have today and the stuff I do daily has been individual learning. You know, doing it at home, studying on YouTube, just watching things and learning from it. And but the biggest, the biggest educator I've had is just doing it myself every day. You know, I've improved tenfold over over a year just by making something small every day and finishing it and completing it. And that's always the advice that people ask from me. And I say, just do it every day. Just it's it's sounds easy to say practice makes perfect, but that's the key. It's cool to, to hear this and then think back on a couple anecdotes I've heard either from you or, or of people talking about you when I was doing research. And there was like the one where when you first started posting TikToks, it was like, I think it was your roommate or your friend. It was just like, just throw like throw one out there, just do one. And then your dad and I think it was like grade six where you went on a trip to France or something. And he's like, oh, just take these photos for me. So it's cool. It, it's cool to hear that it's like there's show and tell. You're not just saying it like you saw someone do it to you. And then you're using that as fuel to show other people that anyone can do it and just take take that step, which is really cool to see. Yeah, anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. Just get on the horse. so talk to me about building a brand as an editor i think this is an interesting topic because you get to a point where editors in the past and i can even reference and parallel this to the music industry like producers and songwriters never really had a brand you were always like below the artist or the or the outcome and now there's been a massive spur over the past 10 years where no producers are actually the brand and they've built their own brand and it's been really valuable for them on the editor side, 
how do you go about thinking of building a brand as an editor? Like, what are those core tenets you think about when you're building the Dodford brand that kind of wants to be a little public, but still wants the work to speak for itself? Yeah, I think, so I initially started this, all of this because it was a way of showcasing what I could do publicly to get jobs. You know, I was, I was at university and this, the Dodford TikTok began you know, mostly just have fun and see what I could make, but also because I knew it would be a public portfolio and that's, I could sell it, you know, something I could show to someone and sell myself to. Um, so always the priority was trying to showcase every range of editing technicality I had. Every single video I was trying to showcase something new, push a different side of me. Uh, so it ended up being this kind of museum of every, you know, facet of skill that I had. There was this overall package of what Daniel represented. And it ended up, you know, I sacrificed spending more time on that as opposed to sending cold emails, you know, or just applying to jobs. I was focusing on just making something people could see immediately. And it was also gaining traction and growing in popularity. And so that felt like the more, it was, it had more validation for it at the time. But like, I'm really happy that I focused on that and building that portfolio and just really honing it and making it as, have as much variety as I possibly could. And so that's always the advice I give now is don't waste time just like thinking about what job you want to apply to or anything. Just like keep working, just like, and show people that you've got the, the, the capabilities that you've got. People deserve to see it. So just make a TikTok or whatever, you know, just make all these videos that belong on your website, whatever, just something that really shows the range of what you've got. And that, that will be my advice. It's, it's how things snowballed for me. Cause once that TikTok got a few followers and people started noticing it and the videos were going on the for you page, then I started getting emails. Then I started getting job requests. So it was something that felt very natural. I know it was such a really easy transition from creating as a hobby to working professionally to creating professionally. And that's been a really good, like sort of three act structure in my career. So it's, um, I'm very, yeah, that's, that would always be my advice. Just, just keep, keep creating and putting it out there. Mm. And how often do you step back from everything you're doing now to reevaluate if the brand you're building as Dodford aligns with where you want to go in the future? <laughs> <laughs> now you got me worried. <laughs> I feel like I don't do it. Yeah, not that often, to be honest. I don't think about. But I, I, yeah, I've got kind of rough, basic plans of the, you know, the future of how I want the documentaries to go. I want them to be screened in cinemas eventually. You know, have a big production company or whatever. Things that build these projects that you know are kind of dispersing out and also I can step away from it as the face and just Dodford be this separate entity. That's something that I look forward to, but I know right now my job, my day job is being a YouTuber. So it's, that's like, how can I improve this? How can I build it? How can I make it easier for myself? That's kind of my only focus every day. Why don't you premiere your stuff in theaters that you have access to? I think the real answer is that it's nerve wracking. You know, I think I'm scared of that. And I think I'm proud of the quality of the videos I put out there, but if you display it on a huge 50 foot projector, you know, and it's every tiny little detail you're going to scrutinize, you know, every frame it's going it, to, it, that's nervous. And I think when it's a collaborative process, which I want it to be more so down the road when I've got a bunch of a whole team working on a project and we're all proud of it. And it's a unanimous thing that we've all seen a million times that feels safer. But right now, you know, I've got great help from a couple of people, but it's still as a whole, like something that I have worked on all the way from the beginning to the end and not, no one really else has really seen it. And then to just suddenly premiere that on a big screen in front of people, if I could even pull that off and bring people to an audience, that's terrifying. So it, it sounds so you'd need some safety. You need some like mental safety to be able to do that. Yeah, I think I'd I'd want some people along the way to to pat me on the back and say, "Yeah, don't worry, it's going to go well." I think you should. 
And that's all I'll say is I think you should. I, I think you see the reception that your your videos, especially the the past four, that have that, that they've gotten, and how much like people not only connect to what you're doing, the amount of effort, the type of story, what they've learned, what they've enjoyed, what they've reflected on. I think the premiere and the the people coming out and their feelings towards stuff already happened in the comments. And so you're just literally taking the comments going IRL. But I, I won't push it. I just think it'd be really, really cool if with all this effort you put in. I definitely agree. Down the road, that's something I want to explore. Yeah, I, I, it would be an amazing experience. It's something, it's why I look forward to it because that kind of real life, everyone absorbing an emotion together, that's amazing. I'm not there yet. All right, cool, thing. <laughs> You've said, when I watched the Hot Ones, the Sean Evans video, you said something which which stuck, and it said you said that the editing in Hot Ones becomes the third character, and it's part of their branding. Mm -hmm. How much do you think of your editing as a character in Dodford videos? Yeah, a fair amount. I think it's the branding, like the the Dodford branding has shifted a lot from you know the early TikTok days. I think even then. I had a clear understanding of the, the type of editing I wanted to keep producing. And so they started to grow this kind of identity, you know, that you'd scroll onto a for you page and you'd, in the, I wanted in the first three, four seconds for you to un feel that it was a Dodford video. And that hasn't changed, like that, all that sort of like mentality to keep things consistent. Uh, it would be hard for me to articulate really what it is. I think maybe I'd have to go through and like analyze what's what have been the similarities because it's kind of this kind of unconscious thing where i'm yeah just working on things and, and there's something in my brain is telling me okay do it this way um, but it's you know simple stuff like subtitles and the, the types of effects and um, graphics that i use as well as the the like the sound motifs and the way that i use music I, everything that you do as an editor it's uh, building up to this kind of identity that you've got. And as long as you are aware of those things that you're doing, that means you can repeat it, which means that you become familiar, which means that your videos immediately feel familiar and, and feel safe and someone feels safe in your presence, which is a huge thing on YouTube. You, know, you want to keep, make sure the audience feels comfortable and that they trust you to guide you through the process. And that's what having a good editing brand is. If you were to give advice to editors, would you say that it's important to think about like your one or two editing signatures as you go along? Or should the opposite be true? Do a bunch of work, as you were saying, and then kind of go back retrospectively and observe where your natural tendencies flow? Yeah, I think it's it's probably the latter. I think uh, especially when you're beginning, you're never going to know what your true strengths are and what your true vision and taste is because... You just need to try everything. If I had, you know, uh, permanently solidified on a couple things two, one or two years ago, I'd hate it now, you know, and I, I think I'd probably grow out of the stuff that I've got now very soon. So you have to be able to have that flexibility to shift and, and wiggle a bit. But yeah, then, but like I said, I think once you kind of have this uh, overall vision of everything you've done, you can find, find those recurring motifs and themes and um pieces of identity and just focus on that because that will be your vision but it takes a long time for you to really work out what that is okay well then talk to me about the idea of balancing eras as an artist i think it's something you've done super well so early on is do so many things see what works what doesn't either say yes or say no and if it's no try something new and keep evolving that way how do you know when you're ready to move on from something like a TikTok or make music videos or doing educational videos. Yeah, I've gone through a lot of those phases. I think the number one is, are you having fun with it anymore? And if you ask, if you ask yourself that question and the answer is no, not as much as I was, then you, you've got a couple options in the, you know, you can either just think, okay, how can I tweak some things? How can I Reapproach re this in a different way, but still make the same stuff. And you might be able to get yourself back on course there. But 
if you are losing that steam, if you're losing that kind of why reason to, to be doing something, then that's a serious thing. And there's also a, a lot of fear so many creators have about re, you know, trying something totally different, completely switching up your content or platform like I did. And so, but that's an actual thing, you know, we are all growing up. We're also, most of us very young and like things are changing about our lives. Things are changing about, um, our minds. And so you have to be flexible and understand that you're going to be, a, you're going to get obsessive about different things. Things are going to, different things are going to inspire you. And so I was fed up and sick of making short form TikToks. They weren't inspiring me. They weren't, I wasn't having that much fun with it anymore. It was stressing me out. I kept getting worried as well as they weren't performing that well. People weren't resonating with them as well as I wanted them to. And I felt like my potential was higher. So I took the risk of just deciding to go, okay, fuck the validation and the comments and the likes that I've been getting every day. And let me just hide away in a cave for a month and see what I can build. And, you know, it didn't hit first. And there were so many times where I thought I probably fucked up and it, it kept, I kept having to, you know, build the Iron Man suit, you know, and, and fix the, fix the shoulder pads and stuff and can keep getting it right. But I kept banking on myself. I just trusted that there was, something good inside me that i could build and it was a huge risk but yeah just i don't know believe in yourself just if you're not having fun you're not having fun you know and like this is what it's meant to be we're meant to, when you're doing this so you don't have to be an accountant you know so like if you're going to follow a dream make sure that you're following your actual dream you know you switched you kind of went into this hibernation you went into a cave for a month and tried working yeah. stuff out is that important to do when you're changing is to kind of get away from the world, whether metaphorically or physically, and give yourself space? I think some people will find that inner creative creativity differently. For me, yeah, I think I felt too close to things. I felt, you know, I'd just done two years of putting out content as fast as I can and constantly reminding people that I existed and I had to I had that feeling where I was like if I don't upload for a week it means that people are going to forget about me and like you know when you come back no one's going to remember who you are and that was a scary feeling obviously an irrational fear but yeah I kind of felt too close to it and I thought that my way of finding what I truly wanted to say was to completely detach from all of that and see what would come out if I just you know forgot about the noise and the buzz and just and focused on myself. I think other people would respond to it differently. Some people do the opposite, you know, and they spend a lot of time, they spend all their, you know, work on their videos by themselves from the beginning. And that's maybe you're losing steam doing that and you need to, you know, join a hive mind, find uh, a circle that you can bounce ideas off and that will help. For me, it was the, it was the reverse. What did you do? when you went into so-called hiding? Like, what, what did you do every day to get that spark back to build that curiosity to maybe find those patterns or those signals of what you wanted to do next? I don't think I did anything to find that spark back because I think it was already there. I think probably the second that I went, okay, let's screw that. I mean, the steam, the, the, the transition from short form to long form was a long one. You know, it was maybe about a year of deciding okay, have I got the courage to do this yet? And so it was a long transition, but by the time I'd finally gone, okay, I'm going to try this, the, the Sidemen video really was it. It just felt natural. It just felt good. And I knew that all the things that I wasn't having fun with on TikTok where I was like, okay, I don't have enough time to tell a story I want to tell. I can't flesh it out enough. I can't build these moments, these beats that go up and down, you know, like the intensity and then suddenly it was liberating. It was like, oh, okay, I can feel this whole different type of creating here. And it was like, it was like getting a new canvas that was suddenly, you know, 150 feet wide. It felt amazing. And so I think it just took a long time of working out what my natural creative itch was. And it was that. It might be different for you, but like for me, I've always been obsessed with filmmaking and cinema and stuff. And so, YouTube is one step closer to that and it it just took a, a bit of stepping back to realize that okay that is the step forward I needed to take which is YouTube is YouTube is just inherently closer to the cinema screen than a TikTok video is and so 
that was just my natural progression. You know what's fun to see is that so much of what you cover in these past four or five video essays, which have done so, so well, it's almost like you're taking their advice or you're, you're taking your advice, but instead of being like, oh, let me create a video about me and how I transitioned from TikTok to long form and how I went about it, you put it through, I don't, I don't think this was intentional, but you put it through a Glover, you put it through a Nardwar, for example, to show people that like, here's the, here are these people that you look up to. Yeah. And here's how they did it. Yeah, I think, uh, well, that's, um, pro it's probably the, the main indicator to me if a character is a good one to pick because it, I want them to, I want to be inspired by them. I always pick someone that feels like, um, I can resonate with their story is a huge compliment and false from you to even relate my story to someone like Donald Glover, but I, I appreciate it nonetheless. And like the, um, yeah, because if I, I want to be inspired by someone, I have to be inspired by someone to put the time in and really want to tell their story. That's why I don't want the channel to ever drift into uh, kind of like slam pieces and picking out the, the negative sides of people because I just can't, if I can't be motivated by their story and feel like there's a good, you know, something to learn from it, then I'm not going to dedicate my time to it. So yeah, I guess there is a sort of Everyone who ends up on the Dodford channel, I kind of want them to be a symbol of a, of a, a larger story that I want to push to inspire people. You're creating your own like Dodford cinematic universe. Yeah, the DCU. <laughs> the, <laughs> the DCU. What's one thing, I guess we can pick anyone, but maybe we talk Glover. What is one thing that you learned when you were researching and you created the video about Donald Glover? that you were really surprised to learn and or I'll go another way as an option what was one thing you became really inspired by after creating the video well about his story or about the like the technical craft of making the video sorry about his story about him about his story yeah well, I think the the versatility is the the main thing to take away from that it's you know you're the, the spectacle of a man who can do everything is just inherently inspiring. Like on a personal level, I know, like I'm always looking for people who've overcome obstacles and, you know, he had a, he had a childhood that wasn't like in creativity, creativity wasn't encouraged on him. So to go from that and then become this, uh, you know, this magnificent person who can do all of it together, but you know, be a master of all of it is that's inc incredibly inspiring. Um, I think the video that like I did and the first time I was like, wow, okay, this man is so much more than the, what everyone thinks of him was the Nardwa one because everyone knew about his success and you know, you recognize his face, you see him talking to these celebrities. And when I was doing the research, I realized those darker eras darker moments in the, the 90s or whatever where people weren't really resonating with him was uh, kind of unknown and people didn't really know much about that and so that felt good as a as a as the creator to know that I had something that was one had a lot of conflict and a lot of payoff which is just great for a story but also because I knew it was kind of like I was revealing something you know all the comments on that vi on that video is people saying that they didn't know that side of his story and people resonating with it because we've all had experiences with people who don't like us or bully us or don't understand you. And so, yeah, that the Nardwa one was probably the one that's inspired me the most. But that, yeah, I, again, all it's just anyone who's got an inspiring story, I want to tell it. Would you ever commission the Dodford channel where someone could submit and be like, oh, I'll pay whatever, 10 grand? And there's this creative person I really want a story to be told about. Please, like, I'll pay you to tell it. So if someone has an idea for a person, they make, like, us make it. Yeah, it's essentially commission a video. So let's say there's, like, a creative person, whether it's in the world that's really famous or a creative person in a company that people want to get, let's call it more press around. These are just, like, two, mm -hmm. two ideas. Is that something that you would do is to actually be able to commission a video that properly highlights the core of who this person is? 
Not right now. I think that would be a future when whatever the form of the Dodford Production Company uh, makes, I think if that was a branch that that focused on telling these kind of underground stories or of people who maybe it wouldn't be, I don't think I would do something like that for just the money. I think if it was something, you know, like we did the, someone was able to apply and, and prove to themselves why their story deserves to be told, but here's why it will, it never will, you know, and this was a way of kind of shining a light on that. That's something that feels better with me as opposed to just taking money from a brand and saying, okay, can we, tell a story about this influential person that's going to make a doc get a documentary made about them later on anyway you know but yeah i think that's that's a really interesting idea about where the future could go where there's a kind of a whole chain of these different films being made uh, but right now i kind of just want the channel to focus on what speaks to me as an individual fair so the thing is like you're seeing so much recognition and success at the moment your videos are doing unbelievably well. The comments are going crazy. Some of the subjects that you've talked about have recognized you. Other people mm -hmm. are recognizing you. You're now getting commissioned to go edit pre-rolls or trailers and such for other really big pods or other people's videos. In this moment, like, how do you stay so focused on what you want to do compared to jumping on this hype and jumping on the accolades that are given? I think it's because... I did two years of client work and editing for other creators and the whole time, the whole time I was just wishing I had more time to do my own stuff. And so I was trying to develop this own brand of whatever Dodford was. I didn't know what it meant. Um, and I knew I had to put more time into growing it, but I needed to make money. And so the, the editing for other people was just where all my time went every day and Anyone who knew me then knew that I wasn't fulfilled and I wasn't enjoying my like every single day. And so I just remember that now, you know, I, I, now I've got all this time and I'm able to create these projects that I'm proud of and put the time in and I get cool opportunities set my way. And I've got the, that privilege and chance to pick out the ones that I know would genuinely make me feel fulfilled. And, you know, the stuff I do for the editing podcast for Hayden Hillier Smith, that's all stuff because I, it, like it inspires me and it's the type of um, content that, I, that resonates with me anyway. And so like, I'm always happy to do that type of stuff. And so I'm very selective with the stuff I, I get, I pick. And I remember, you know, I can't just fall into that, can't just fall into that place I was before where I was constantly yearning for this position that I'm in right now. So I have to remember where I came from. Besides, now I now have, you know, two other people who are counting on the channel growing as well. And so I, there's a bit of accountability there. I mean, I know that I grow, they grow, and that's something that I want. So over the past year, with all the success that you've had, what was the, what was the one thing that meant the most to you in 2022? In 2022, uh, I think, yeah, Logic following me was a big deal. That was a little, like, 12-year-old side of me, really, really fanboyed out then. I th but I think this the moment that everything kind of blew up was the sidemen video reaching that whole side of uh, the industry you know all of them noticing it reacting to it commenting on it um following me that was like a kind of the moment i'd been waiting for where i knew i was all i always felt like i was on the on the outskirts kind of i'm still very very far from like the inner circle but i've always felt like i was on the outskirts of this creator hub and so that was like oh suddenly these people know my name they notice me and now that that kind of it just it's just kind of this inner feeling where it's like okay yeah the the credibility is forming that's always a great feeling and it just it it felt rewarded because I felt rewarding because it was after years of years of churning and, and grinding out and late nights and so that sideman video suddenly blowing up and becoming a behemoth on the channel very quickly and turning things around that fast it felt like a, I think from an outside perspective it would be seen as an overnight success but to me it was the complete opposite it's just well too slow well, dude it's so cool to see how you take things at your own pace regardless of how successful everything's been or how some of these videos are like i saw you just post this morning that three out of the four past videos have crossed a million you're not even at a hundred thousand followers i know you're really really close 
And so it's really encouraging to see that you're taking steps. You're kind of you're you're able to build at your own pace, which I think is super super impactful, and it seems really intentional. And you're someone who's really good at finding stories. You're someone who's really good at telling stories, and you're someone who's also really good at helping other people tell great stories. And so, I just want to end there and say it's been a pleasure having you on. It's super 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 inspiring, but super cool to see where you're going and. The fact that you're so old, man, at 23, I guess when you retire soon, we'll have to we'll have to just keep watching all the videos that you've been putting out. I appreciate that, Danny. It's been a, it's been a pleasure and a privilege. It's been great. Thank you, man.